with Job. Um, it does seem to kind of go on and on a little bit, but you know, important lessons throughout the book of Job. And again, um, tonight we're going to see kind of that transition as we go through it here. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and then we'll pick it up in chapter 36. Father, again, we thank you for tonight and for your word, Lord, that uh, we get to look at. Um, and uh, Lord, we ask that you would just speak uh, to us and speak through your word as you're so faithful to do and uh, minister to our hearts, Lord, draw us close. And again, we just pray that we would just uh, know more about you, that you would reveal yourself in a special way tonight to us, Father. For we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, so we've been off for a few weeks uh, with the book of Job there, coming back to it after a while. But remember the big premise of it in chapters 1 and 2, uh, if you ever want to review that. It's just, um, you know, it's really um, Satan's charge against the Lord. He, he charged, um, you know, the Lord... Satan was before the throne, and, you know, the Lord said, hey, what do you think about Job? He's a good, he's a righteous man. He does, you know, uh, all that, you know, I've asked him to do, lives by faith, a good guy. And, of course, the accusation of the devil was, well, he's just doing it because you bless him and take care of him, and, you know, you've given him all this stuff. And so he's doing it because of what he gets out of it. And the Lord, uh, again, allowed Satan to take that stuff, and Job... After it was all gone, and we're talking about his ten children to pretty much every penny he had was all gone. And the Lord saw Satan again, and Satan said, yeah, well, that's because you didn't hurt him personally. You just took away all the other stuff. If you affect him physically, then he's going to turn his back on you in a heartbeat. And, of course, the Lord let him do that and said, you know, he can't, uh, he can't take his life, but... Job had this horrible disease that caused a lot of pain and sleeplessness, and there's all these symptoms from it, from, you know, not being able to eat to, you know, scraping the, uh, the, the boils that would come to his skin and all sorts of stuff. And it was, you know, just, just pretty, pretty horrific. And then we, you know, saw Job's friends come in and, um, and, and again, um, you know, try to really just woo him over to admitting that he was a sinner and that if he just repented, everything would be okay. And Job stood up and said, no, listen, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. But what I, I haven't done anything like you guys are accusing me of to deserve this as judgment. And of course, then we just saw the back and forth with Job and his friends and each one of the three, and then it ended up being four people. And then Job would reply to them and um, you, you know, then the last guy to speak, which we'll finish up tonight, is Elihu, who's had six chapters of basically going on and on and on. But at the end of chapter 37, well, the beginning of chapter 38, finally God will break through and he'll start speaking. And so that'll be a, a welcome relief to hear from the Lord instead of all these people's opinions of what they think is going on and who God is. And so... Uh, chapter 36, verse 1 says, Elihu also proceeded and said, Bear with me a little, and I will show you that there are yet words to speak on God's behalf. I will fetch my knowledge from afar, and I will ascribe righteousness to my Maker, for truly my words are not false. One who is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now again, Elihu is kind of, uh, you know, just the full of himself, kind of the big head of, uh, of, of, um, of the bunch, really. And he was younger than the other ones. That's why he spoke last. And, um, and he even said that, you know, I'm young, but you guys just haven't done a good job. I have to jump in here. And so now he's reemphasizing. Look at, you know, verse 4. He's basically saying that he's speaking for the Lord. Hey, Job, you need to listen up because I am speaking... You know, I know what I'm saying. I know what is, I know what's right. I know that this is, you know, this is like hearing the Lord by listening to me. And he's so confident that he's right when he is wrong about so much. And, you know, that's just, a lot of it's just pride speaking. And I just think that's one thing we always need to be careful of, that we don't 
become prideful and we think that we have it all figured out, that we know it all, or we have the answers or solutions to people's questions or problems or difficulties, and you know, thinking we know what God should do or is going to do or did do. Um, you just we need to be careful of that pride. It gets us in all sorts of trouble, as it certainly will for Elihu, and we'll find ourselves, you know, end up being corrected by God when we do things like that. And certainly, you know, he will be, as we'll see uh, when God starts to speak here. But, you know, I know what's going on. I have great knowledge. I'm speaking for the Lord. And then he says, verse 5, Behold, God is mighty, but despises no one. He is mighty in strength of understanding. He does not preserve the life of the wicked, but gives justice to the oppressed. He does not withdraw his eyes from the righteous, but they are on the throne with kings. For he has seated them forever, and they are exalted. And if they are bound by fetters, held in the cords of affliction, then he tells them their work and their transgression, that they have acted defiantly. He also opens their ear to instruction and commands that they turn from iniquity. And if they obey and serve him, they shall spend their days in prosperity and their years in pleasures. But if they do not obey, they shall perish by the sword, and they shall die without knowledge. So again, you know, he sounds a lot like Job's first three friends that were speaking. You know, if you do what's right, if you do what's good, you're going to be blessed. Um, you're going to be wealthy, healthy, and wise, right? You know, you're gonna, he's going to exalt you like the throne of kings, and you'll be there, and you, you know, nothing will move you from there, and uh, you know, all these kind of things. And if, you know, um, uh, you know, if you, if you sin or go against him and acknowledge that iniquity, then he'll, he'll re restore you and you know, give you prosperities. And as it says in verse 11, years in pleasure. Um, but again, this is, you know, there's some truth behind that, but certainly not the totality of how God works. And particularly in the New Testament, you know, we see people that are very godly that are suffering and uh, have everything taken away from them and are persecuted and are put to death and all this. And certainly there are, you know, some of the most righteous people. So to say that this is how God operates all the time, uh, you're missing quite a whole, uh, a whole lot with that. But there are people that believe that. And, you know... Um, I was watching, um, not watching, uh, I was reading about one of these um, uh, kind of a rapper, singer uh, gal who, um, um, you know, has been pretty famous for the last few years. And, you know, she was talking about her time in, in church and, you know, her, I think her grandfather started a church and, um, you know, go, you know, but she would use, um, you know, they had words that were kind of, you know, bleeped out right of the text um you know just kind of a filthy mouth and then but she would talk about god and their blessings and you know then say something that's way off and then going back and you know kind of throwing a little bit of god in there um you know a lot of professional athletes do that especially you know a lot of football players will will kind of do that and, and again they're kind of thinking her kind of thinking is you know i have so much i'm so famous uh, because, you know, I'm basically a good person and God's, you know, rewarding me or something like that. They have this kind of in, thing in their mind when it's just, uh, you know, has God done that? Certainly. But does he do it all the time? Is it promised? Is it guaranteed? Is that how he always works? Well, certainly not. But, uh, you know, that's what he's going on. And, and, you know, he does know everything that's going on. He's involved in everyone's life. He knows the details. That's certainly true, but again, Elihu is drawing the wrong conclusions. Uh, the, the, you know, the righteous and the oppressed don't always win out, and they don't always get much in this world. And, you know, again, Elihu says, you know, God pays attention to your, you know, when you're righteous, and if you're his, he's going to take care of you, seat you up on high. But if you don't change and, and you sin, he's going to correct you. And, uh, you know, you're going to be punished. And if you ignore his correction, you know, you're going to have trouble in life. But if you embrace it, then, you know, richness and pleasure will follow you. 
And, and again, much like the three friends were saying, which just, you know, aren't accurate and certainly draws wrong conclusions with it. And again, he's going to accuse Job here in verse 13, but the hypocrite in heart store up wrath. They do not cry for help when he binds them. They die in youth and their life ends among the perverted persons. He delivers the poor in affliction and opens their ears in oppression. Indeed, he would have brought you out of dire distress into, broad pla- into a broad place where there is no restraint. And what is set on your table would be full of riches. So if you weren't such a hypocrite, Job, you know, and and, and again, if you weren't just involved in this sin, then everything would go okay. And again, you know, uh, the reason that you're suffering this and the reason, you know, your life looks like, and he probably looked like he was ready to die. I mean, he hadn't eaten. He talked about, you know, the skin hanging off his bones. I mean, probably like looking like one of those people that are, you know, starving. There's another... um, um, famine in one of the African nations, and the name just escapes me right now. But you know, you see the people with literally skin hanging off their bones. And I was uh, watching something about um, you know World War II, uh, you know, around the December seventh, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, and you know they were showing some of the concentration camps and the people, you know, they're walking skeletons. And so I imagine he, you know, he looked like that. And not only that, but he had sores all over his body, head to toe, literally. And, and he said, that's just because you're wicked, you're a hypocrite. And, uh, you know, but God blesses the righteous and delivers them out of a, you know, between a rock and a hard sp- uh, place, if you would. He wants to bless you, Job. You just have to allow him. And all this is waiting for you. You just have to repent and turn to him. But again, it had nothing to do with that. The Lord called Job righteous and a, and a, and a, a good man. Um, and, you know, the Lord was allowing this to happen for a reason, as we'll get a little bit of that um, as we finish up. But, uh, again, that wasn't it at all. And, again, people just misunderstand and misrepresent God, and we just need to be careful that we're not counted among them. Well, verse 17 says, But you are filled with the judgment due the wicked. Judgment and justice take hold of you. Because there is wrath, beware lest he take you away with one blow. For a large ransom would not help you avoid it. Will your riches or all the, all the mighty forces keep you from dis- distress? And he said, you know, again, um, he says there's... You know, you're, you're filled with this judgment, and there's nothing that can, you can do to change that. Um, you know, it's kind of like people today. They, they think money and power um, somehow give them a better position, you know, because it does in so much in life, right? I mean, it definitely opens doors that, um, who, who was telling me the other day? I think it was, um, I don't know if it was you or Ethan or something, saying something about a restaurant. Maybe it was Ethan was telling me this very wealthy person wanted to get, um, you know, a rest a table for like seven at a very exclusive restaurant that's booked for, for months. But because they were wealthy and uh, recognizable, then they literally opened a table that day for them. And because you know people are used to getting their way with power and money and and all this kind of thing. Uh, you know, in some sense, I, I think they think they're, they could buy their way into heaven or out of judgment um, in some way. I, I don't know how they rectif- rectify all that in their mind, but, you know, here he's saying you can't do that. You can't, you know, money and power are useless to get into heaven or in and doing God's, um, you know, uh, work and doing what God called them to do. And, of course, people think, right, that, you know, if you give that or do some good deed, uh, it makes up for a life of rebellion and sin, right? Well, I, I you know, or I, they compare them to somebody else, somebody else. Well, I'm not as bad as them, and I don't do that. And I do do these couple of things, you know, here, and, and you know, my attitude is like this and that area. And all of a sudden they think, you know, that's going to, you know, make up for, uh, you know, a life of sin and rebellion against God. 
And it's certainly not. Uh, you know, that's what the Jews do today, right? There's no temple. There's no place they can um, offer their sacrifices for their sins like they're supposed to. And, you know, on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which, you know, just happened a couple of months ago, uh, you know, they can't do the Day of Atonement because there hasn't been a, a temple since, uh, you know, literally almost 2,000 years. And so what they decided to do was, you know, we'll weigh our good deeds and our bad deeds here, and we hope that the scale kind of goes like this, you know. And so if you feel like it's a little heavy, I haven't done enough, uh, then, you know, you'll try to make up for it by giving the homeless person $5 or helping out at the food bank or doing this or something like that. Um, and, and it's just not how the Lord is. And sadly, most people believe in something like that, uh, you know, at least certainly in, in our country uh, and probably Western thinking is that, you know, as long as I'm not as bad as some people, then, you know, certainly I should be welcomed into eternity. But that is all any good. And of course, as we know, and the New Testament is pretty clear about that, it just, it's impossible to be good enough or do a few things good and balance the scales. Here he said you couldn't buy your way out or, or talk your way out of it or, again, be powerful enough to get out of it, which is you know, it's certainly true, but not in his case um, because he accused him of being the, getting judgment that is due the wicked, so you must be wicked, which is completely wrong. Well, verse 20 goes on to say, Do not desire the night when people are cut off in their place. Take heed, do not turn to iniquity, for you have chosen uh, this rather than affliction. And, uh, you know, again, I put that little picture up there just to get some idea of them talking to Job here and what it, what it might look like. But, Job, you say you want the night uh, or death, um, but you can choose to turn to God instead. Uh, you know, you, th- you kind of want it all to be over, which we all completely understand. But he says, you know, you, you can actually turn. You don't want to do that. And then he says in verse 22, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who teaches like him? Who has assigned him his way or has said, you have done wrong? Remember to magnify his work of which men have sung. Everyone has seen it. Man looks on it from afar. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him, nor can the number of his years be discovered. Uh, again, Job, you know, you can't think that you haven't sinned that you, uh, and that you can correct God in some way. Um, and again, you know, he, he, Job never claimed to be sinless. But, you know, Job did kind of step off and moved into that area you know, uh, uh, of talking about the Lord not giving him the fair shake or not explaining to him why this is going on. Or, you know, if I can only talk to him, then he'll understand what's really going on here and things would change. If I only could ha- talk to somebody that could stand before him and tell him, you know, if I can only do this, then, you know, things would be straightened out. And, you know, Elihu's saying here, you know, can you really do that? You can't really do that. Who can tell him this is right and this is wrong and you should do this and not do that? And, and that's true. And he says, you know, how many years can you think back or think ahead? You know, God is far outnumbers that because he's over and outside of time. So he knows everything all at once. How, how could, uh, you know, somehow you and, and, and who you are change any of that in comparison to God? And, you know, he's, he's right about that. We, we can't. And, and Job was complaining in that way, you know, and understandably so. Well, finishing up the chapter here, verse 27, for he draws out, I'm sorry, draws up uh, drops of water, which distill as rain from the mist, which the clouds drop down and pour abundantly on man. Indeed, can anyone understand the spreading of clouds? the thunder from his canopy? Look, he scatters his light upon it and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these he judges the peoples. He gives food in abundance. 
he covers his hands with lightning and commands it to strike. His thunder declares it, the cattle also, concerning the rising storm. Now, I think this is really interesting, this last little bit here, and, and he's kind of talked about it just a little bit here, but he's talking about this storm, right? This water and rain coming, and he talks about um, clouds coming over and lightning coming. And I believe what's going on here is this storm is coming in. I think they can see that storm on the horizon and they see the lightning afar and probably the rain and the clouds are coming over them because just in a little bit, God's going to speak from the clouds, from the storm, from a whirlwind specifically. And I think, you know, Elihu sees that and he's using his little illustrations by pointing to the storm that's coming. Uh, and I think, you know, the Lord's using that. He's, he's coming in, he's moving in. Uh, I don't know if you could picture that, the storm kind of rolling in, like we just had some storms not too long ago, right? And you kind of see them, especially for our house, because it's facing west, so you can see uh, the back of it is. So we can see the storms, and they all come from there, from the beach there, and so the ocean. So you can see them coming, and uh, I think they see that, and then they see how awesome God's power is, right? You see the lightning, the thunder, uh, you know, there's some whirlwinds coming, maybe some sort of hurricane uh, or tornado kind of, uh, you know, spinning up there a little bit. Maybe they, they see that. And, you know, Elijah said, look at the majesty and power of God. And we do that too, don't we? When we have a big earthquake or something and we see, you know, the ground shaking. And if you're, sometimes you can get a, uh, once in a while, if you're in the right place, you can get a a, a view of the land rolling and certainly you can see videos on the internet you know when the earthquake comes and that roll comes and you can see the streets kind of just rolling and you're just you know amazed by how much power is behind one little earthquake or how much power is behind uh you know if you watch some of those uh, tropical storms and hurricanes that come into florida and the gulf coast and everything and they're the Caribbean islands and you see them just wipe it, you know, just the power of that or a big, you know, tidal wave coming in and, and we see stuff like that. We just, I know, makes us, most of us think about the majesty and power of God and and that's true and, and it, that it should. And I think that's what Elihu is, uh, is seeing here. And that will continue as we go through chapter 37, which is the last part of man speaking and thankfully the Lord's going to uh, start speaking and again this big storm is coming and as he uses this the illustration of God's power and in verse 1 of chapter 37 he says at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place hear attentively to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth he sends forth uh, under the whole heavens his lightning to the ends of the earth, after a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously, marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. And so again, I think the storm is coming closer and closer, the thunder, the lightning, and the majesty of, uh, of God in the weather because he controls it. it. It's part of his creation here. You can see his fingerprints, if you would, all over it. I, I, you know, as we read through this and, and as we read through the next few chapters as the Lord speaks, I, I think you can clearly see the creator, creator's hand in creation. And, you know, the older I get and the more I see and the more I've learned and the more I read and the more I'm a part of, the, 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 you know, the crazier and far out, outside is this whole thing of evolution. I mean, people like to, to, to swallow it hook, line, and sinker, and the average person doesn't know anything about it, uh, you know, probably couldn't hold a five-minute conversation about it, and yet most people just believe that as as fact like the sun's going to come up tomorrow and you know so i know that's going to happen uh, i don't have to give it any more thinking at it because it's that's what it is and certainly people believe you know and buy into that and there's a number of reasons for that they you know they can dismiss god out of their lives or uh, any number of things but 
you know, it, it's just we see his hands. You see him throughout all of creation. I think when we look at this and we see all this, I think it's just it's just so evident. It's just very evident, and anything else is just really a distraction and an excuse just to put their minds off of the things and, and, and God being there and possibly somebody greater than, than all of mankind. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, it's just fallacy. Well, he's going to continue here with weather, verse 6, for he says to the snow, fall on the earth, and likewise to a gentle rain and, a, and the heavy rains of his strength. He seals the hand of every man that all men may know his work. The beasts go into their dens and remain in their lairs. From uh, the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind, and from the cold, from the scattering of the winds of the north. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. With his moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. And so again, Elihu's just kind of going on on how great God is and using this, this, this storm as a, a, a good illustration to everybody there of my majesty and the power of God, which is really true. Uh, but again, the New Testament talks about this. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 1 you know, we think of Romans chapter 1 and the judgment coming on, on sinful uh, man, and that's very true. Um, but, you know, these verses are very powerful to me, you know, eight, verses 18 through 20. And it says this, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since cre the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse." And I think that's just so true. You, you know, it's just so plain, as I just said just a moment ago, that he's there and he's made it plain and he wants to make it plain that everybody can see that. There, there really isn't any excuse to, well, I thought, you know, we, we came from slime. Oh, God, I, I didn't see, you know, that's all I was taught. And, you know, I, I don't know any better. You know, I, I just thought all this. And, and you know, that, that excuse is just not going to hold any water because it is evident. And it is plain, and he's made that on purpose so that everybody will know. And of course, his plan is to draw everybody to him. But for those that want to ignore that, he says that you're not going to come up with some good excuse someday when you have to stand before me and, and you know come up with, well, I just I thought evolution was around <laughs> or something as lame as that. No, it's not going to fly, and he is evident very clearly in creation. And he's God. If he wants to be evident in that, he certainly is and can be. Well, he'll continue on in verse 13. He causes it to come, whether for correction or for his hand or for mercy. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know when God dispatches them? And causes the light of his cloud to shine? Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Why are your arguments hot when he quiets the earth with the south wind? With him you have spread out the skies strong as a cast metal mirror. Teach us what we should say to him, for we can prepare nothing because of the darkness. Should he be told that I wish to speak? If a man were to speak, surely he would be swallowed up. Even now, men cannot look at the light when it is bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and has cleared them. He comes from the north as, a golden, uh, as golden splendor. With God is awesome majesty." As for the Almighty, 
we cannot find him. He is excellent in power, in judgment and abundant justice. He does not oppress. Therefore, men fear him. He shows no partiality to any who are wise of heart. And so Elihu finishes these words here, and I don't even think he finishes. I pretty much think that the storm arrives and God just starts speaking, as we'll see in a minute here. But basically, Elihu is saying, you know, God's is so great, his ways are past finding out, right? Isn't that what he's saying? Uh, that it's so true, you know, what an awesome God we serve. And, and there is, a, you know, a lot of truth in who he is and the awesomeness uh, of who he is, uh, you know, as seen and displayed in, in nature and the things that he was looking at through the storm. You, you know, and we can't even begin to know what, he, what he's doing or what he does. And that's true. You know, how, how are we going to be able to, 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 to comprehend all that? You know, he, 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 he's just so far above us. And uh, we, we just couldn't know that. And, you know, when Job kind of cries out, I like justice, you know, Lord, I, I like to defend myself in front of you. I like to correct, you know, this and instruct you in that way uh, so that you might, you know, change the situation and finally understand what's really going on here. Um, you know, and, and Elihu is bringing that up. You know, how can you do that? You, you know, you can't even look at the sun for but a matter of a few seconds. How much less could you look at the glory of God and, and talk to him? And I always think it's kind of scary and funny and sad all at the same time when people say, oh, I can't wait to meet God one day. I, I got a few questions to ask him. And I have, you know, I, I, he has some explaining to do. And I you know, I want to kind of take a step back in case the lightning bolt falls or something like that. You know, that's um, just so wrong in, in, in so many ways, um, uh, you know, that somehow the Lord has to give, you know, you an explanation for what he does or didn't do or should have done or could have done differently or something like that. Like he has to explain himself and why uh, in some way or, you know, justify why this happened in somebody's life to a person. It's just, you know, um, it's just uh, someone that has a very shallow or, or misconceived concept of, you know, who God Almighty is. Um, it's just, uh, you know, that's just not going to happen. And nor should it happen. And, you know, that's really where faith and love and trust comes in. Um, and we'll see that here, I think. Um, you know, someone said that uh, the three friends that, that spoke, Eliaphaz, um, and, and, and his two other friends, and the names just went out of my head, but, you know, he, they were telling Job that it was punitive, right? He was being punished for what uh, something he did, and that's why all this was happening. And then Elihu came along and said, no, it was really corrective. But, you know, God won't say it, but he seems to imply, and I, I think it's pretty clear, really, that it's instructive. All this is happening because it's instructive, not only to Job and his friends, but to us even some, you know, four or five or how many thousands of years ago this took place. Um, and, and again, there's just doesn't leave any questioning for God or he has to explain himself in some way. As a matter of fact, you know, as he goes through this, he is never once going to explain or answer the why question to Job. And when he presents who he is, just who he is, as we'll see in those four chapters, you know, it's going to bring Job to a whole new level of understanding of, of, of the Lord, and we'll talk about that at the end. But at that point, there was no need for him to explain. When he looks back, and, or when he hears all that the Lord asks him, and, and explaining, in a sense, who he is, uh, you know, who God Almighty is to, to Job, the why questions and, you know, are, just aren't even in the realm not even on the menu, just are so far removed. And I think, again, that's just so important that we understand that. And that's why it's important to understand this, because 
a lot of those questions or whys or complaints to the Lord, though we have them and though we do them, you know, when we put the proper perspective of who God Almighty is, it's amazing how those things just kind of fade away. And that's what the Lord's going to do here. And again, you know, Satan was behind all this, and the Lord's certainly going to prove him wrong and reveal that to us. And he's going to show Job something about himself. And again, those, uh, you know, who will be reading this and hearing about this will all learn from that as well. So the Lord has, has much that he's accomplishing through this, through this book and through this story. And so let's look at him in verse 1 here. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by my words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Now notice God is speaking out of this whirlwind. I I don't know if you can picture this. I I put a couple of pictures here um, you know, uh, of Job speaking, you know, just some things maybe on the internet. You know, there's the lightning, there's the storm, uh, you know, maybe God's speaking this way. Uh, you know, here's, here's a whirlwind, uh, you know, going around and around and around with the rain and the lightning and all this. And here's actually a real picture. <laughs> you know, this is, this, is, this is actually a real picture of, you know, a storm with lightning and this kind of whirlwind there. And God's speaking out of that. So, I, you know, I don't know if we picture there's rain coming down and lightning going and this wind just blowing around. Not enough to destroy them or move them out of the way, obviously, but this whirlwind is going. Um, and it, it must have been a pretty awesome thing to see. And, of course, we know that God's used whirlwinds and the weather of this world, you know, he kind of revealed himself to Moses that way. There was a whirlwind that passed by along with, you know, earthquakes and other things. And, of course, he took uh, uh, Elijah up in a whirlwind. And he used the weather, has used the weather in the Old Testament, the New Testament, in the future, uh, in Revelation, that, you know, huge hailstorm, 75-pound, you know, hail hail balls of hail coming down. Um, you know, so he does that um, and uses that. But he asks the question, you know, who's talking here? What do you, what do you know? Uh, can you teach me something, Job? Explain something that I don't understand. Uh, you know, that sounds kind of funny again, and I've mentioned this a number of times we've gone through this, but we can do that a lot in prayer, can't we? You know, Lord, I'm praying because I'm letting you know the situation and how bad it is and how wrong it's going. And, you know, if you would just listen to me as I'm praying here and and see how I see it and know what's going on here, then, you know, you'd come in and, you know, change this or or do this or, you know, do the things that that I think really should be happening here. In a sense, that's what we can do in directing God or informing God. We feel like we need to inform him in some way so that when he's informed, then he's going to certainly do what we think should be done or change the situation or whatever it might be. And, and, you know, when we look at it in this context, it seems, oh yeah, that, you know, that's kind of way out there, right? But the Lord says, well, you question me. Now let me question you. I mean, what do you really know? <laughs> And verse 4, he, the Lord speaks here and continues on, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who determines its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? So, Job, where were you when I was creating everything? Like, you know, like, you know, he uses this illustration like you're building a building and you start out with a foundation and, you know, you start with a foundation and you, you, you make the foundation of the building and, you know, then you would build the building on top of it. And he says, where were you in, in any of those parts? <laughs> and he's going back to Genesis 1.1, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, he's going right back to the very first verse in the Bible here. Where were you 
when all this is going on. Now, I, I, I don't see this as being like this heavy judgment on Job. And I don't see it as being kind of a light thing. I, I think it, it, it's a little bit of both. You know, he's, he's serious in one sense, causing Job to consider this. But I don't think it's like, you know, he's hammering him either. I, I think there's like a, 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 a somewhere in the middle, you know, hey, Job, you need to think about this. It's certainly serious, but it, it's not like, you know, I just don't believe it's like punishing and putting him down and, you know, making him feel smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and kind of crushing him with his words. I don't think that's it either. I, I think it, it, it has this wonderful combination uh, that's just what Job and what we need to hear about him. And, and so he asked him, where were you? And verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted, for joy. So when, you know, it was finished, the creation, where were you when there was a celebration of the creation with the angels? Were you there with the angels when they were all celebrating, uh, you know, the creation that just happened? Now, now some people, as a side note here, like to show this verse uh, that um, the morning stars, you know, of course, we know that uh, uh, Satan was referred to that in you know, Ezekiel and in um, Isaiah, uh, where we kind of li- link that teaching, uh, those verses there to, to Satan, because they certainly can't really speak of, a, of an earthly person. And you know, one of the things is the morning star. And so some people think, well, you know, Satan had not rebelled uh, right in the creation uh, as everything is being created, it had to happen sometime a little later because of this. And there might be some truth uh, to that as well. You know, it, it's not very clear, but, you know, just so you know, some people uh, look at it that way. But, you know, we're, the bottom line is, were you there when all that was happening? We were having a great celebration for, for creation. Or verse 8, who shut the sea with doors and and when it burst forth and issued from the womb when i made the clouds its garment and a thick darkness its swaddling band when i fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors when i said this is uh this far you may come but no further and here your proud waves must stop and again, you know, the Lord's using terms like, you know, building something like Job or his friends or we would build something. Uh, you know, this is, you know, you stop here, the house ends here, the garage starts here, you know, the pool begins there or something like that. And but what the Lord's saying, you know, is that when I created all this, were you around? Remember, our, our planet is what, two thirds water, right? And if it weren't for the mountains, we'd be hundreds of feet underwater. You know, if you were to take all the mountains down and, and uh, you know, without the mountains, just allow the oceans, you know, we'd be, I don't know, 600 or so feet deep in water. <laughs> so we moved the mountains. And that's what he's saying. I, I allowed the mountains, that, you know, when he said, let come forth the dry land out of the waters, right? And, and Genesis 1 there. And uh, I made the boundaries for the ocean. Were you there? I mean, he's talking about, you know, huge creative forces here, right? Verse 12, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked, have sh- uh, be, uh, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It takes the form like clay under a seal and stands out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and the upraised arm is broken. Have you entered the springs of the sea, or have you searched in the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? So he goes on to say, you know, again, do you get the sun, you know, the sun up? And do you hold all this stuff together? Are you going to take care of, you know, what's good and what's right? And, you know, uh, have you been to the depths of the, earth, uh, of the oceans? Or tell me, you know, when a person dies, what happens? 
to them? What happens when they die? Where do they go? You know, what, how does that whole process take place? Tell me, Job, do you know that? Do you, do you know these things? And, you know, again, what does that make you do? It's like, yeah, I can't even begin to know any of these things, right? And that's the point God is making here. Never not answering the why questions, not explaining himself. Yeah, well, Satan was there one day and, you know, he challenged my authority and he made all these accusations and I wanted to clear it up very early on, you know, in the history of man and do all this stuff. He, he doesn't mention this. He just talks about who he is and who we are, right? And then he goes on and continues, verse 18, Have you comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness? Where is its place? That you may take it uh, to its territory, that you may know the paths to its home. Do you know it? Because you were born then? Or because the number of your days is great? How does light and darkness work? Where does it come from? How does it, we know again as a rotation of the planet around, around the sun and the moon and its seasons and how gravity affects that and you know the whole solar system, how it works. Job, are you around when all that was put into place? And now we'll talk about the weather too. Verse 22, have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble? for the day of battle and war. By what way is light diffused, or the east wind scattered over the earth? Who has divided a channel for the overflowing water, or a path for the thunderbolt, to cause it to rain on land where uh, there is no one, a wilderness in which there is no man, to satisfy the desolate waste, and to cause the springs for, uh, cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass. Has the rain a father? Or who has begotten the drops of dew? Or uh, whose womb comes the ice? And the frost of heaven, who gives birth to it? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. <laughs> so then he goes on with weather. Well, how does snow work? How does it accumulate and the hail that comes? Well, you know, we, this is California. This is how we survive. Pretty much two-thirds of our water supply comes from the Sierras. And think of God's amazing creative force. You, it snows and snows and snows up there. And if it just rained, all this water would come down. And it would just be abundant for a few months and then be gone for nine months, right? But the snow, what happens is it piles up and piles up. You get feet and feet and feet and feet and 40, 50, 60, 70 feet of snow up there in the mountains. And it stays there. It doesn't just run off. And then when it starts getting a little bit warmer, a little bit of it melts and starts running down and then melts a little bit more. It gets a little warmer close in the summertime. And it's like this big reserve that we can enjoy water, you know, for many, many months of the year. Um, and and it, it's stored up. It's like, you know, having money in a savings account. When things run a little low, you go in and grab a little bit of it, right? And the same thing. He says, did you set all that up, Job? And, you know, and just think, you know, they say that each snowflake and, and each piece of hail is unique. You know, there's no two snowflakes. That's what I hear. But, and, you know, from what I've seen that to be true, that are, are, are exactly the same. No two pieces of hail that are exactly the same. How is that, Job? How is that, Job's friends? <laughs> you know? How about the water of the rain? Are you taking care of a place where there's no people and no one's around? There's no people there. Are you taking care of them and the animals that live out there and having the grass come up? and, and uh, Or how about the, the miles and miles of, of snow on the polar caps and everything. Are you taking care of all that? <laughs> Obviously, no. And, and, and the Lord's going to continue to speak about his creation on earth. And, and, but the Lord now is going to take this little detour into the expanse of his creation in space. And, and here's a little picture of that. 
Um, you know, uh, can verse 31 says, can you bind the cluster of Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? And, and so, you know, this is a picture of the, the web, you know, telescope when it went up there and taken over for the Hubble and all this. And, you know, they say there's over two trillion galaxies. Not planets, galaxies. Now, I don't know how accurate all that is, but if it's even close to that, just think of how many galaxies, you know, with all the this galaxy, we're in one of them, and there's two trillion more. So how do the stars not run into each other? How does, you know, gravity work? How does these planets interact and the stars, you know, and, and these, uh, you know, uh, constellations that move around in different seasons, how does all that happen and work? You know, were you around when all that happened? Who put all that creative force into being and, and working it out all perfectly and, and harmonizing all that? I mean, he takes it way up to the, he's looking down here on earth and then he takes it way up into the heavens. And, you know, Job, can you tell me about that? You, you keep the stars orbiting and moving around what they should do and take care of all that in space. <laughs> Not much to answer when you, when you read something like that, huh? But, but again, uh, he goes on and, you know, you, you, uh, Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out its lightnings that they may go and say, here you are, who has come and put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of heaven? So again, you know, can you... Um, can you, uh, can you tell me all about the weather? How does it work and continue to do so? Can you explain how all this goes down, how all this happens? Or, or verse 38, when the dust hardens in clumps and the clods cling together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait? Who provides food for the raven? when its young, young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food. Well, do you worry about the wild animals? <laughs> do you take care of them? You know, how about the ravens when they're hungry? The little chicks, do you take care of them? Or, or, the, or the lions, you know? Do you know when they're hungry? And again, you know, when we read these things, you just, you know, what do we know compared to God. And, and when we read things like this and hear this, you know, it makes you want to think, man, should I ever question God? I, I mean, he is just scratching the surface, certainly. And, and you know, uh, again, he is just telling a little bit about him and things that we just really never even think of. I mean, these great, powerful forces, in which we would say in nature, whether it's on Earth or in the atmosphere around Earth or going out to the galaxies, which we don't really give any consideration of, even places where, you know, I was up in the, the Santa Cruz Mountains a couple of days ago and looking around and this place had 400 acres and you're in the middle of redwoods. There's just nothing around it. Who, who thinks about that and takes care of it? I mean, whether it's down here in those small things with birds or in constellations and galaxies spinning around here. Well, I do. I created them. I put them there and I sustain them. And I know when a little bird is hungry or a lion needs to eat or grass needs to grow over there. I do. And what do we know compared to him? Now, remember, the Lord hasn't answered any of the questions of, uh, of, of Job. You know, because Job, Job's friends wanted God to speak to Job and tell him how wrong he is, right? Remember all that? That was our big thing. Tell him how wrong he is. If God were here, he would tell you what a sinner you are, and that's why all this bad stuff has happened to you. And so they wanted God to break forth and just spill the beans about Job and how bad he was. And of course, Job, you know, wanted to question the Lord. Why is all this going on? 
straighten out my three friends, that I'm not a sinner, and that I, I, I do have a case before you, and if you just hear it, you'll be convinced of me. I just need to, to talk it over with you and, and, and explain myself and explain what's going on. And that's what he wanted. Then you'll correct my friends. And again, the Lord doesn't even go down any of those paths. He just talks a little bit about who he is. And let's finish up with chapter 39 here. And he'll quiz Job about his creation and basically the animal world here. That's what he's going to do in chapter 39. Verse 1, do you know the time when the wild, mount, uh, wild goats bear young? Can you mark when the deer gives birth? Can you number the months that they fulfill? Do you know the time when they bear young? They bow down, bring forth their young, they deliver their offspring. Their young ones are healthy, they grow strong with grain, they depart and do not return to them. <laughs> And again, I just love this section because, again, I think it just so dismisses evolution so quickly. But do you know the gestation period? That's what we say. How long the baby's in the womb from, you know, for a, a, a giraffe, which is a long time, or, uh, you know, like Marty's little hamsters, right, which is just like weeks or something, right, before they're born. You know, and, and every animal has got, you know, these different periods of time that the baby is growing inside them. And who knows? And then who knows how long they stay with their mother? You know, if you watch any of those Animal Planet shows or whatever, and they talk, the mother bear stays with them for like two years. And some of them, you know, two weeks they stay with them. And that's it. And everywhere in between. Uh, and again, he's, I know all that. You know, do you know when the animals are going to give birth? You know, and here's, the, you know, some of the animals just of the state of Washington. I thought, you know, that's just a pretty good mix just for one state. Do you know them? Do you give them help? Do you take care of their young? Do you know what their babies need? You know, verse five says, do you set the wild donkey free or loosen the bonds of the onager whose home I have made in the wilderness and the barren land his dwelling? He scorns the tumult of the city. He does not heed the shouts of the driver. The range of the mountains is his pasture, and he searches after every green thing. And so here's some, you know, some donkeys out there. And, and you know, how about the wild donkeys? You can't control them. You know, the Israelites, you know, like to ride around. A lot of people did, you know, on donkeys to kind of just move back and forth, or they would use them to carry as pack animals and all this stuff. He goes, you know, the wild ones, you can't even control them. They, they don't like to be around people. They like to be way out there and far from anybody and graze and move around and migrate and all that. Well, who takes care of them? Who created them, right? Job, you got your hand in any of that? Or verse 9, will uh, the wild ox be, see, uh, will be serving you? Will he bed in your manger? Can you bind the wild ox in a in the furrow with ropes, or will he plow the valleys behind you? Will you trust him because of his great uh, strength is great, or will you leave your labor to him? Will you trust him to bring home your grain and gather it uh, to your uh, threshing floor? Now remember again, you know Job had huge bunches of animals like this. Remember, he had you know, a lot of donkeys and a lot of uh, ox, and he had um, sheep and goats and all this stuff. So he's, you know, kind of bringing it back into some of the things that, that, that Job had. Well, he knew about a regular ox, but how about the wild ox? You know, can you put a hitch on him and let him plow or move, you know, big stones to grind out your grain and all that stuff? No. He does what he pleases. You try to put a rope around one of these guys and you're going to be dragged off into who knows where. That's because I know about him. I created him. I put him there. And, and now he goes to verse 13. The wings of an ostrich wave proud, but her wings are pinions like the kindly storks. No, she leaves her eggs on the ground. She warms them in the dust. She forgets that a foot may crush them or that a wild beast may break them. She treats her young harshly as though they were not hers. Her labor, her, her labor is in vain, without concern, because God deprived her of wisdom and did not endow her with understanding. But when she lifts up 
herself on high, she scorns the horse and its rider. So, Joe, tell me about the ostrich. Why is the ostrich so dumb? <laughs> right? And he is, she is dumb. They lay eggs there. They don't care about their young. They don't sit on them, wait for them to hatch, and make sure they're here, little baby ostrich. Let me give you a bite of food. Let me, you know, they just don't even do that. And because they lay them in the ground and, 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 and in a place where it's warm, that obviously the eggs will stay warm and hatch. But anything could, predator could eat them, somebody could walk over them, another ostrich could step on them, she'll step on them, right? She, you know, you know, she just buries her eggs and she's a bad mom, we would say. She doesn't care about her young at all. Why is all that? Because God made her dumb. <laughs> made her dumb. She's got wings, but she can't fly. Why does she have wings? What's the purpose of having wings? that are, are useless. God said, that's the way I made her. But you watch the ostrich run, and she's going to laugh at a horse because she's going to do laps around a horse. Man, those things can run. Outrun a horse. And why is all this, Job? How did all this happen? I did all this, Job. I made her that way. Fast, wings that don't fly. Not a good mom. That was just all me in creation. Did you do any of this? Do you have any part of this? Job can do nothing, right? Well, let's finish up here. Verse 19. Have you given the horse strength? Have you closed his neck with thunder? Can you frighten him like a locust? His majestic snorting strikes terror. He paws in the valley and rejoices in his strength. He gallops into the clash of arms. He mocks at fear and is not frightened, nor does he turn back from the sword. The quiver rattles against him, the glittering spear and the javelin. He devours the distance with fierceness and rage, nor does he come to a halt because the trumpet is sounded. At the blast of the trumpet, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar, the thundering captains and shouting. So now he's talking about the war horses, the stallions here. They're not afraid of the battle or the sore. They don't mind charging into people holding spears or, you know, defenses here or something. Man, they just know that they just got to run headlong into, to, to, to battle. And when they know it's coming, they're pawing the earth and getting ready. Job, who made him like that? Who made him to be so fearless like that? It was me. It was me. And then he finishes with these migrations of birds and hawks. Verse 26, does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings towards the south? Does the eagle mount up on your com at your command and make its nest on high? On the rock it dwells and resides, on the crag of the rock and the stronghold. From there it spies out the prey its eyes observe from afar, its young ones suck up blood, and where the slain are, there it is. So then he just, you know, uh, uh, sees all the migration of birds and how they eat and how they take care of them, where they build their nests, how good their vision is, obviously. And, and you know, how some of them will just eat dead animals, obviously, and go down and get that. And, and all that they do. And, and, you know, he didn't even begin to start talking about migration of, of animals, you know. You know, birds can, can migrate thousands of miles. You know, we hear the Canadian geese flying over here, you know, a lot. And then they head, you know, back up north when it starts getting warmer. But we hear, bah, 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 you know, at sunset almost every night in the winter. You know, you hear them flying around here. But um, who's, who's putting them on that course? How do they know where to go and where to come from? How do they know when the weather is going to be so bad they can't serve? I mean, it's him. He's doing all that. He gives the, the vision to the eagles. He can, they can hunt for miles of way. And Job, Job's friends, how is this something you can do, something you're a part of, something you know, something you created, something you put together? And again, they just see how small and insignificant and really who they are 
in comparison to how great and awesome our, our Heavenly Father is. And it's just a great thing to remember and to know because it, 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 it clears out a lot of the cobwebs and the questions and the things we have, knowing that He is caring about some bird you know, that's hungry or some grass growing someplace or how a vision eagle can see or something going on in a constellation, you know, a million light years from here that we have no idea. And if he's taking care of those things, he knows about those things, how much more does he take care of those that are his and his children? And he does. And it's a good reminder for all of us. Amen? Well, let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this time and for uh, this reminder as we go through. And I know we have one more visiting, uh, one more visit into this with a couple chapters of you speaking and then closing up everything, Father. But I pray that we would just continue to see how great and awesome and mighty you are. And Lord, that we can just be excited that we're yours and that you love us. And if you know such great detail about things that we don't even think are important nor that we know about, how much greater and more important are we to you? And we thank you for that love and for that comfort and for those blessings, Lord. May it just draw us closer to you and see uh, who you really are, Father. Help us to see that and know that, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.